before I preach, now you can hear me. Should I go through everything else? You all got it. But, but there, there's, I, I had these years ago, you know, when I was a sacker at Dylan's. I remember having that, that dream of sacking in my underwear, you know, that kind of thing. I've had those dreams uh, when I'm preaching. And, and it, this, this wasn't preaching in my underwear. What this, what this was is, you know, Eric was doing the leading worship and everything. Everybody's ready. And, and uh, uh, it came time, or it was getting close to time to preach. And all of a sudden, I couldn't find my Bible. I couldn't find my notes. And I was running around looking. I went into the office, and I went to print off my, my sermon. And I couldn't get the printer to work, so I, I spent time doing that. And by the time I got it all together, I went back towards the sanctuary, and you were all leaving. You were all leaving. And you were a happy group of people. So I'm a little ticked at you right now. No. <laughs> I just thought I'd share. We're in Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. you got the blue Bibles in front of you. If you don't have access to Scripture or your device, uh, you could use that uh, this morning. Uh, it's it's I've enjoyed this, and I've heard comments from many of you uh, about walking through the book of Acts and, and just been refreshing for, for many of you. Uh, please let me know thoughts uh, uh, that, you know, would love, love to hear more. Um, but we're in Acts chapter 12. At the end of 12 is really a pivotal time uh, in the midst of Acts. Uh, the first 12 chapters, one of the main characters in those first 12 chapters has been the Apostle Peter. And such it is in, in this story of Acts chapter 12. Uh, the beginning of cha Acts chapter 13, it, it's starting to turn more to Paul. Okay. From, from 13, all the rest of, of uh, uh, the book of Acts, it's going to be more about that character of Paul, his travels and journeys. Um, what we saw the last time we were together is, is that, that time in Antioch. But here in chapter 12, we're going to go back to, to Jerusalem. We're going to go back into Jerusalem and see what's, uh, what's happening there before we go to Paul and all these journeys. Uh, it's all been about multiplication and the spread of God's word, right? Uh, we, we, we've entitled this series, Taking Root. And we're reminded why so often in, in watching it grow and spread. Isn't that what we've been seeing? I mean, the beginning in Jerusalem, this fantastic beginning uh, on the day of Pentecost. And then it, we see the persecution causes it to, to actually spread. And it's spreading everywhere. Not just what we see uh, of Luke's commentary and writing. In one instance, we see it going into Samaria. Samaria, that you know, the, the separation between Samaritans and Jews where, oh man, they are not people who like each other. And yet the gospel is spread to Samaria through Philip. Uh, through Philip. Uh, we see also uh, Peter going to that uh, city of Caesarea, directed by God to take the gospel specifically to Gentiles. There again, it's stretching, it's going, and, and it's amazing, the believers in Christ. So it's not just Jews, now the Gentiles. Uh, every, this message is for everyone. And we, uh, we pretty much see that as well here in Antioch. 
Uh, just recently, we were in chapter 11. We're in Antioch. What happens, and it, it's not prominent, Jew, uh, not prominent apostles or other leaders. What we see is people from those who are dispersed because of the persecution. There, there are Jews, and there's, there's Hellenistic Jews, and they're going into Antioch. Some are specifically looking at, at declaring the message of, uh, of Christ uh, to, to the Jews there in Antioch, while others are, are just saying, hey, Gentiles need to hear this as well. So Jews and Gentiles, both in, in Antioch, are, are receiving the gospel. It's exciting for the church. And all throughout, we're seeing the spread of those roots at the very beginnings of the church. It's been fun. It's been fun. Uh, again, we're going back here in Acts chapter 12 is a focus upon the church in Jerusalem. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to, to uh, uh, be short this morning, but we're going to deal with all of Acts chapter 12. I'm not going to skip verses. I'm, I'm going to read you. This is a story that, that it would be difficult to, to not read. I want to I read it uh, in order for us to hear uh, the message that's presented here. And because of that, we're going to pray. We're going to pray because we're going to hear his word and we're going to be challenged by his word and, and we want his Holy Spirit to be working on our hearts and leading us in, into living right before our God. Amen? All right. So let's, let's purpose, that, purpose that in our hearts as we pray. Father in heaven, we praise you for your word, every bit of it, every part of it. Lord, uh, it is such a gift to us to know that you've laid this record down uh, of ha facts that have happened in history, the beginnings of the church, Lord. And we pray, Lord, as we come before you, that we hear your word and that it challenges us, it directs us, it leads us to living the kind of lives that is going to be pleasing to you. And so we desire that this morning. And lead us as we go through this Acts chapter 12. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me, let me read for you the first five verses of Acts chapter 12 just to introduce what's going on. First verse. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was dur during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. You know... I went into the outline this morning. Usually I have to turn it in early to, to get it done. I, man, so this morning I was kind of rushed. Got it done. Got it to Eric, and he's a happy man. But I was challenged more and more. I want to add just a little bit to what to me became, this is just kind of a generic sermon. Matter of fact, if you see uh, my, my direction I was going to go in is basically this, that God acts when his people pray. Uh, there's, there's more to this than, than just about the church and prayer. This is in the midst of political tension. This is, this is amidst political trouble and, and absolute you know, persecution. 
So that's, that's going to be the focus. But what we see at the end of that verse 5 is prayer. And so I want to go ahead and read that entire story. I want to pick up verse 6 and read through the rest of verse 19. I want to get the, the content of the story, and then we're going to dive in all the way. Verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him... Oh, excuse me. I wanted to spend a little time with Herod. Let me do that first. Herod is mentioned here. He is the reason for the, the persecution that's, that's arisen in the church. Who is Herod? Matter of fact, in the history of the church in the New Testament, we see three Herods at play. Three Herods. There's Herod the Great. He was the one that was uh, uh, there and in rule when Jesus was born. He welcomed the, uh, the wise men who were searching for this king. Oh, interesting. There's a king to be born. Oh, come back and tell me when you find him so I can come worship him too. You remember that, Herod? Herod the Great uh, did wonderful things. Really did wonderful things. And, and it, especially in the, the development of, of what Jesus is going to do and what the church is doing. It brought a time of peace. Here, here they are, are under Roman rule. And Herod's responsibility is to keep peace in that area. Keep peace amongst the Jews while they're under Roman rule. And, and, and because of that, I believe we could see the success of Jesus being able to move about, to teach and preach. But these guys, all three Herods, caused trouble for the church as well. Uh, for one thing, Herod the Great was out to kill Jesus later in life. Matter of fact, after Jesus was born, it was just a few years later that Herod himself passed away. He died. Uh, you know, it, not before he went out and sent, a, uh, sent some soldiers to to Bethlehem and killed all the young boys in in uh, Bethlehem trying to kill Jesus now he was crazy he killed his own two sons because they were a threat to his throne understand that uh, the second Herod we see that's played out in the Gospels is uh, Herod Agrippa Herod Agrippa was uh, uh, no not Herod Agrippa Herod Antipas Herod Antipas was the one who, who arrested John, uh, John the Baptist. Uh, he was a nuisance. John the Baptist was a nuisance to Herod because John the Baptist was calling out the sinfulness of, of, of Herod. So Herod arrested him, put him in prison, respected him, was afraid of him, but yet ended up through circumstances of cutting off John the Baptist's head. He himself later was removed from that position and the final uh, Herod that we see at play is here in the book of Acts, and his name is Herod, Herod Agrippa. Herod Agrippa in this chapter, verse, in, in verse 1, says he, he committed to do violence against the church. I believe that that was brought about because of what he was hearing from the Jews who were under his, uh, under his rule. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. But Herod went in to destroy the church, and he went after its leadership. He went after its leadership, killing the apostle uh, James, the brother of John, you know, the sons of Zebedee, Jesus called specifically to be apostles. He killed James, the first uh, martyr amongst the apostles. And, and then uh, he arrested Peter and placed him in prison. And what we see... Uh, there, the response of the church. What's the response of the church? Pray. Let's pray. Let's get together and pray. 
uh, we're going to, let, let's, let's see the, the activity that takes place after all that. Okay, James is dead. Peter's in prison. The church is praying. Here we are. We're ready for verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring out him out, that's Peter out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentry before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off of his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them on its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked on the door uh, of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when he, they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Let me just say, James in this case is James the brother of Jesus, another leader of the church. James the apostle has been slain. So James the, uh, James the brother of Jesus. Then he departed and went to another place. Now, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. Where's Peter? He was right here. Now he's not here. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he, then Herod, went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. When we look at this, I, say, I said this is, this is more than just prayer. This is really about politics. We have not spent any time talking about the church and politics. Today, church and politics. Let's look at the matter. Matter of fact, politics has been a part of the church uh, even before this. I know today it's, I mean, the king is involved this time, right? The king is involved. But, but before that, that Sanhedrin was also part of, of politics. Uh, and, and they were willing their their authority over the church, or at least they attempted to, right? They made their attempts to quiet the church, but it failed and failed again. And so 
uh, at this point, I think it's, it's let, let's talk about this. Let's talk about uh, the politics. I do want to talk about it more in this light, to, to, to step into this realm of politics. Because, I hate, let, let's face it, politics, we have, we have an election coming up. We already see the rising of ugliness. It's been ugly for several years. Am I right? The politics, the ugliness, the, the distance between two parties, and, and then the candidates, and the, the venomous uh, words that we're speaking against you know, those possibility of who, who are going to be elected. And, and man, a lot of critical words about those who are presently in those positions. We hear it all. What does the church do? How do we act? Well, in the midst of political troubles, matter of fact, in the church here, troubles and, and even tragedies, uh, what does the church do? God's people trust. Isn't that simple? We're left to trust God through these circumstances. And let me also add that along with trusting God, it is acting on his behalf. Now that's pretty general. Let me let me get into some details. Let me get into some details when we go to this. What is the action we're looking at? First of all, we'll keep the, the point that I had. Tragedy and trouble leads to earnest prayer. But I'm gonna add this political trouble and tragedy leads to earnest prayer. Uh, here's what happened in the church in in Acts. Herod went after that leadership in the church, and it it took the church to prayer. Uh, It was violence. It it was violence. It was an execution of James, uh, one of their their leaders. An apostle was slain. Uh, Herod's motivation. Let's talk about that a little bit. Herod's motivation. Uh, he, he was very politically motivated. Let, let's say it. I've heard it described that Herod himself was kind of a token uh, authority. The true authority over the land was Rome. Let's, let's just face it. And Herod there was to, in order to keep the peace amongst the Jews in, in a place that is controlled and ruled by Rome. Okay? And, and it was effective in many ways. It still caused trouble. There was still tension. And yet... There was no major uprisings or anything like that. They were always squelched. Herod was in charge. Herod was, was definitely motiv- motivated politically, and he already had uh, kind of a good place with the Jews in, in Jerusalem. Uh, the reason he did, uh, both the, the Herod, uh, uh, Herod Antipas, who, who was uh, you know, the, the beheader of John the Baptist, that was his uncle, uh, and, and actually, that Herod, his mother was a Sumerian. Uh, she was from Samaria. That wasn't a plus for the Jews. On the other hand, Herod, uh, Herod Agrippa, his mother was Hasmonean, which basically means she was, she was out of the Levitical priesthood of that line, the, the line of Levi, which was a plus for this Herod. And, and so... Uh, he, he was already at a place and position because of his heritage to be in favor with the Jews. Now, everything he was motivated to do was going to be a plus for Herod. So politically, what was he doing? He was listening to the Jews. He was listening to what was going on in Jerusalem and, and this church and the troubles there. So uh, it, we're, we're not really told what happens, but I could see that was his motivation to go and bring violence against the church. And to have James executed. 
and also political motivation is, as the scripture says, when, when he saw the response of the Jews, oh man, that, that's great. Do it again. <laughs> so what does he do? But he, he, uh, he, he imprisons Peter. And, and we know Peter to be vocal, so he's kind of an obvious target. He's also an obvious target because what did he do just recently? Man, he's the one, through God's leadership and direction, brought the gospel to the Gentiles. You, you, could, you could definitely imagine that that riled those, those Jews who rejected Jesus even more so in Jerusalem. These Christians are now associating with Gentiles. And Peter is the one who instigated that. So now he's arrested. He's in prison. Another po political motivation is he doesn't execute Peter right away because he's arrested during the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It is a holy week and, and no executions during that time. But when this is finished, his plan is to bring Peter out and, and I imagine to do the very same thing he did with James was to execute Peter. That's where he's headed. And the church, again, is praying. The, the church acted, it says, in earnest prayer. I want to talk a little bit about that. What does it mean, earnest prayer? One thing we see in the passage, when are they praying? Late into the night or way early in the morning, one or the other. It was dark outside, and, and they are together praying. They're genuine in what they're doing. They're sincere. Who's, who's getting up early to pray? Who's, who's staying up late to pray? One or the other. And, and, and they're praying. Uh, I have to ask you a question. Uh, you know, how, how do you build numbers when it comes to, hey, we're going to have a time of prayer. Just want, want people to come. I've done that over the years. We've had Sunday night prayer meetings. We've had a few folks come. I think 18 to 20 folks come. Over the summer months, uh, I announce, hey, since we're not doing Wednesday night, uh, please come. Uh, I'll be here from 6.30, 30. We'll, we'll be praying. And Brian and I, over the summer, had a good time. Uh, you know, we, we didn't fill any rooms. We didn't fill any rooms with people who were running to prayer. Why do we want to pray? Uh, we, we did have maybe the elders join us or the leadership of the church join us the first night, you know, with special invitation. And throughout, we had two or three others join us, but pretty much it was, it was my buddy Brian and I, and we, we spent the time. It was valuable time, right, B? Okay, he says, yes, sir. Okay, good. Uh, it is good to pray. So how, let me ask you, how do I fill the church by saying, hey, guys, we're going to pray tonight? I know the answer. Do you know the answer? Trouble. Trouble. It happened on 9-11. After that happened, we had the chapel full. We shouldn't have even been in the chapel. We should have been in here because there were people standing along the walls and in the back, and it was crammed full of people because why? Because of the tragedy and the difficulties that were happening, and people were saying, oh my goodness, let's call on God. You know? I don't, I don't know. Maybe some of the things we ought to pray about. Hey, God, bring us trouble so people will be drawn to you to pray. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like that. that that's crazy. But, but it, it, it will happen. It will happen. It, let's say that Eric is pulled outside and he is executed for, for being a leader in the church. And Matthew is taken to jail. And I, I tell you that morning, okay, he's dead. He's in jail. Hey, Let's just spend this service on our knees praying, and you would all be with me on that. 
If I said that today under no other circumstances, you say, I'm not going to, I don't want to get my knees dirty. I don't, I don't want to get them. No, I don't, I don't want to do that. And, and, and you know what? We're going to go beyond an hour. We're going to spend some time. We're going to set it up. Maybe, maybe we're, we're going to spend some time praying. Say, I, I might even have to say, hey, people, I'm going to leave the doors and lock. You come and pray. Uh, you know, go and eat if you need to. But we're, we're just going to be here praying. We'll just keep praying. That would be the earnest kind of prayer that this church was experiencing. That's the earnest kind of prayer that this church was, was uh, facing. Listen, uh, I do believe that there's threats against the church that are rising up. One of, one of those, and this is a reality, that, that our tax-exempt status is, is, I've heard this from several people's men, you even hear it from politicians talking about removing that. And, and on one side, I say in the practical side, I understand that because of how it is absolutely abused. There are groups that are out there abusing it. That, that's definitely happening. So on one side, I say, I understand that. In the meantime, it has been something that's been valuable to us as a church. It's enabled us to do uh, so much, you know. And, and, and matter, of, matter of fact, has even, even formed how we meet. Let's say they take away our tax-exempt status. What, how's that going to change us? Well, for one thing, it's not going to destroy the church. That, the church is going to exist no matter what, right? Through difficult, the church is because it's God's church. But, but if, what if it happens? It might change the way we, we meet. We might not have a building anymore. And that might be a way, way that we could, we could work things out. We might not have pay, paid ministers. I'm just, I'm just kind of thinking through that. It, it would cause changes, but God's church would continue on. And matter of fact, there is even this sense, what I've seen throughout history, that, that even through this book of Acts, through difficulties, man, God comes shining out of every, everything. Uh, man, the continued movement of his, his gospel, matter of fact, uh, because of the persecution, this gospel just spread and that was a wonderful thing. That's what God does with things like that. So, so in part, I'm going to say our position when it comes to troubles that's coming is we're going to trust God. Are you with me on that? I'm just going to trust God. He's in control, not our government. He's in control. The second point I think is really important for us to see, and I simply put it down on your outline, God is able to deliver. Well, we know that. But I'm going to add this. God is able to del deliver no matter who rules. No matter the polit politicians, the rulers uh, over this whole world. God is able to deliver. We know that's a fact. We're confident in that. Peter is delivered. Peter is delivered. Yeah, he's sitting there in prison. And what I find fascinating, there are four squads of soldiers. Does every prisoner get that attention? Not at all. Not, not every pre, prisoner that they have in, is having four squads of soldiers laying on the ground, chained to two soldiers. And the question is, why do you think that's so? Why do you, why do you think Herod is so concerned about this particular prisoner? Well, let's see. Uh, Peter uh, has a savior named Jesus who, who couldn't stay in the grave, right? He, he, death couldn't hold him, nor could the, the, the tomb hold him. But even probably closer to home, remember in Acts chapter 5. 
Remember back in Acts chapter 5, the apostles are preaching uh, in the temple area. They're arrested. They're put in prison in order to be judged for the next day. And what happens? Miraculously, they're released from prison and they're told, get back in the temple area and continue teaching. So they gather in the morning. They say, okay, go get them. They're not here. (laughs) So Herod obviously knows the stories. Let's put four squads of soldiers. That'll keep him. (laughs) But God rescues. He sends an angel. He sends an angel. Uh, The chains fall fall off. He walks clean out of the the, uh, prison. Uh, Peter himself thinks this is a vision. Peter knows visions, right? He saw the cloud, and that seemed so real to him then. This seemed so real. Uh, and, And then when the angel was gone... And, and he's kind of coming to his senses. I'm out. <laughs> he's out. God rescued Peter out of prison. But at the same time, don't forget how we began the story. James was executed. Was that because the church wasn't praying? What, what, what's going on here? James loses his life. Peter's released. Is it, you know, God favors James over Peter. No way. No way. I do look in Hebrews chapter 11, 34, and through, uh, also 37 without reading those. In 34, he's talking about how the uh, prophets of old, man, they were, they were rescued by God in all kinds of circumstances. 37, that many of them lost their lives. Some sawn in two and, and other things that happened to the prophets of old. Both were going on. I think about the three men in Daniel chapter 3. You've got to re- remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? You can't forget guys with those names. Uh, but anyway, those guys uh, under Nebuchadnezzar who had created this great idol that when you hear the music played, everybody is going to hit their knees and worship that idol. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused. And when they were confronted by Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Nebuchadnezzar actually said, Oh, what God is going to rescue you? And you know what their response was? Our God in whom we serve is able to deliver us. (laughs) Where where do we put our trust? Where did the apostles put their trust? It was absolutely in God. I don't think that changes for us today. Our trust over all those who rule around us is that God rules. It it is God who rules. God who's in charge. God who is able to deliver. But the second part of their answer, I don't want to forget this because this was their attitude. Hey, our God is able to deliver, but if he doesn't, we're not going to serve your gods. We're not going to bow down because, guess why? Because our God is able to deliver, whether he does or doesn't. That's the attitude. That's the attitude of the apostles. That is the attitude of any believer. Is our faith, our trust, our confidence is in our God who is able. Whether he does or not. Let me, we, we need to think about prayer. We need to think about the th- way we approach God in prayer. There's two things that, that I believe are obvious to us and we need to be reminded of before we pray. We know these two things. Number one, God is sovereign. Number two, he's good. Uh, in his sovereignty, he's in charge. 
He's the one who leads. That, when you go before the sovereign God to make a request, you do so, what? Knowing who you are and knowing the holiness of who he is, what is that? That means I'm going to come before him humbly with my request. Is there any other way to approach God except in that humble attitude? I remember it, it was a few years back, and, and if you heard this, I bring this up because I, I think this is dangerous. Uh, over my dad, who was, had maybe a few weeks left, we were praying over him, and I heard uh, from a, one of the members of my family, I decree and I declare. I decree and declare. Have you heard that prayer? I, I'm going to tell you that is an absolute uh, arrogant prayer before God. I decree. I, this is going to happen. It's speaking words and I, it's going to happen because I'm saying these things. And, and uh, we, we had some discussion afterwards. Please don't pray to God by decreeing and declaring. Don't do that. Unless you're decreeing, declaring, you know, what he has already done because it all comes from him. His sovereignty. His sovereignty. Acknowledging his heart. It is, it is God that we're making the appeal to. And, and also think about his goodness. Uh, the fact that we're even able to approach God comes through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The only reason I'm able to approach that throne and lay out a request is because God is good. He's good. And, and he hears our prayers and we lay it. We lay it before his merciful feet. That's what we do. That's what we're able to do. And then like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abigail, no matter what, you're, you're my God. Whether, whether they take my life or whether you rescue me, you are my God and I could do no other. That's our prayer. It's just laying confidence in him. Even Jesus, think about what well, the perfect example is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember before he was crucified that night in the garden, he was saying, God, if it be your will, please take this cup, this cup of suffering away from me. He was, he was suffering in that night, and he just, he just laid it out before God. If it be your will, you know, may this cup pass from me. But, but then he said, but, but not my will be done, but yours. Isn't that the, that's, that is the humbling prayer. If Jesus prayed that way, how could we pray any other way? That humble yet privileged place of approaching God and having the opportunity to lay it before God and allowing him to be the sovereign God he is. That's how we deal with, that's how we deal with prayer. That's how we need to face it. What about response? Anticipating God's response. The church here, wow, did they miss it or what? Now Peter comes knocking on the door. Hey, it's Peter, let me in. Rhoda comes to the door, hears his voice, runs about and all the, could you imagine the excitement? He's at the door. We just been praying about it. He's at the door. Uh, you're, you're out of your mind. You're out of mind. No, no, he's at the door. No, no, it's his angel. It's Peter, let me in. They finally go to the door and man, could you imagine amongst that group the celebration that, that was experienced? It is Peter. It's Peter, he's at the door, oh my goodness. It is wonderful to be pleasantly surprised when God answers our prayer. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna 
be critical of those who are sitting there praying fervently, and then God chooses to address the, to to answer the prayer the way He did. I I would be surprised too, wouldn't you? Wow! But it, but what I would be is if they did not turn it into praise. I'd be critical of that. But I know that there is some rejoicing amongst them because they knew what God had done. Peter laid it out for him. This is what happened. Also, in that action of prayer, verses 20 through 23, I want you to know this. There was a, because Herod's not done until 20 through 23. Let's, let me read those verses for you. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Complete different matter. He had gone back to Caesarea. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. Then in 22 it says, And the people were shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. Why were they doing that? Politics. That there was no better speech that we've ever heard than when, when you Why? Because it was through the king that they were going to get food and they were hungry. The true motivation wasn't, hey, that was a great speech. The true motivation was hunger. You see the politics at play in here as well. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was, he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Oh, great picture if you're trying to put it into your mind. What, what happened? A judgment upon Herod came. God's judgment upon Herod uh, was given out. What was the judgment for? Was it because, does the scripture say, well, it's because he arrested, no, because he, he beheaded James and he arrested Peter? That's not what it says. What's the, what's the very reason that, that, Herod was, that Herod had God's judgment brought upon him? It's because he failed to give God glory. Absolutely. He failed to recognize God, to acknowledge God. In Romans chapter 12, that is the greatest sin, is a failure to acknowledge God, to, to, to understand, to, to give him the glory that he deserves. He created everything. You eat a meal. God, we praise you. Man, we have the opportunity. You acknowledge God in your coming this morning. You acknowledge God with the songs that Eric's led you into singing. It's, it's giving praise to his name. You acknowledge God, or we all acknowledge God as we open the word and we read it. We're trusting where our confidence is placed there. That's how we are to live. There's one last point that I did not change at all because I think this is prevalent uh, when we think about the political surrounding here and, and the responsibility of the church. And the point is this, pray for the continued spread of God's word. It really is focused on the, the final verse, which has happened time and time again. Verse 24 says, but, oh, after all these circumstances, the, <coughs> the circumstances of, of, of uh, death and imprisonment, the, the, the rise of persecution again, the, the, the last part of the verse 
uh, of this chapter says, but the word of God increased and multiplied. God's in charge. He's still in charge. There's, there's no change here. He, he wants to be charged. He wants his people to be active in that. That's why I think prayer is vital. It's essential. We need to be actively in prayer. Doing it together, doing it in our homes, our personal lives, prayer needs to be very focused. Uh, this, this emphasis about the positive is not the first time here in 1224. It happened in Acts chapter 6 verse 7 after the apostles received some uh, you know, imprisonment and other things. 6-7 it says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Woohoo! Uh, chapter 9, verse 31. Again, this is after uh, uh, Saul had, had been converted and, and went to Jerusalem. Trouble came up there. But here's the last word. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace as was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Well, what was the theme? Why was that so important to talk about? Because it is all about the roots of the church growing, spreading, and, and so for the church, what is our significant purpose? What is our significant uh, prayer? It's over the continued spread of the word of God. So that more and more people will acknowledge him and stop the foolishness of ignoring a God who, who deserves all their praise. Right? That, that is absolutely right. It is not the place of the church. It's not the purpose of the church to be a political force. Please don't think of the church that way. We are not here to be a political force. We are not here to be a political force. We are not. Jesus didn't come to be a political force. What did, what did he do? Man, the Jews were upset about it because, hey, Jesus, you need to come and give us back the authority. Give us back our kingdom. Well, he he is, but not the way they think he is. And, and Rome, he didn't come and, and thump Rome on the head or anything. They continued doing what they were doing. But in that, Jesus came. He died and he rose again. All that power uh, exhibited before everybody to identify that he truly is king. And then, and then the church has followed the same. Uh, they didn't come in and begin to affect Rome. They didn't come in and, and, and again try to give strength to, to Jews over their kingdom. Nothing like that was happening. What they were doing was bringing about the word of God. Why? To affect the people's hearts. To change the people's hearts. That's you and I, right? Transformed hearts, transformed lives. That's change. That's change. We're people of his kingdom. We're people of his kingdom. Let me end with this. I, I, I thought about Old Testament and, and the circumstances was around that time after the, the, the period of the judges. And the people started crying out for a king. Who, who was leading them up to that point? God. God. But they, they looked around and they said, well, we, we, need, we need some political leaders. <laughs> what? 
We need politics around us. We need political leaders. When God was in charge and what he said, you know, uh, through the prophets, that's the way you lead. He was going to correct. He was going to direct. And he was going to lead them to be the nation uh, that, that he desired his people to be. And they said, we want a king. In other words, they were saying, give us politics. <laughs> and today, you know what? God is leading us back to a place where he rules and his kingdom exists in this world today it exists in the hearts of those who claim him as king who knows of that kingdom i believe i i belong to a kingdom that the the politics is absolutely laid in god's hands he rules he leads he guides and we as a church we're going to live according to the politics of the land and live you know as, as they direct and we're going to let them do what they do and support and, and and whatever we do in our own wisdom but as a church as a church we're going to be busy praying through all circumstances and we're going to trust God for what whatever comes whatever direction he goes in let's pray father in heaven we praise you and we thank you Oh, Lord, we need to hear this. We need to hear that, uh, uh, Lord, we look around the world and, and according to politics and things like that, it is just a mess. And how could we expect anything else? Matter of fact, how could we expect anything to get better uh, through the leadership of men? Godless men, godly men, it, it, we know the direction it's going to go in. Father, we want to be attentive to your leadership to your guidance. Lord, our hearts are yours. Our minds are yours. Continue to transform us and shape us. And when the things around us are troubling, Lord, our trust is with you and our prayers are going to be lifted up before you as well. God, we praise you. We thank you for this day. And we ask, Lord, to guide us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.